you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode. Not the next episode. It is the 50th episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. And we've got a fantastic guest with us today, Jen Hall. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me here, honestly. And I'm, I'm ecstatic that I've made the 51 as well. It's, it's an honour uh, that we've um, sort of uh, laid on you, um, just as a special occasion, because it's been several, I think, several years, actually, since we've properly caught up. So everybody gets a bit of a background and a flavour for who Jen is. Jen is um, a business positioning coach and market leadership expert, helping successful entrepreneurs to become market-leading, future-proof business owners. Uh, multiple business owners. You, I think you've got three businesses. Three businesses on the go. Yeah. We're going to get an insight. You've just had a spectacular launch, which I'm definitely going to be picking your brains about because I think it could seriously help some of the people listening and watching this podcast today. Um, and also best-selling author of your uh, book, Expert and Rivaled, again, which is a fantastic book, which I've read. So where do we start here? Um, talk to us about, you've just done a, a million pound launch, Jen, and um, it's quite phenomenal that you've been able to do that at a time. You know, we are in the middle of a crisis here and you've just rolled out a million pound launch. And I love your posts. They're so humble that you're kind of like, yeah, we just did a million pounds, you know. <laughs> I had someone else say that to me today as well. Like, <laughs> seriously, I was like, why is this? And I don't want to appear like it's nothing to us. We are so excited about the fact that it's happened. So but, talk yeah. to, talk to, tell everybody about that business and how that whole kind of launch came about because it is phenomenal. Yeah, so we ran a campaign. So just for clarity, so the business that this was for um, is uh, one of our businesses called Evertrek, which is a a high altitude trekking specialist. Um, And we decided to run run a campaign, and I'll be really clear, a run a campaign that we've run many times before. This isn't just something like a a fluke. we we knew our conversion rates and this but this was kind of like talk about fearless business this is like a heart in the mouth moment because you know we started off with this campaign putting 300 pounds of marketing budget into it um and we got 80k out of it the very first time we run it so i mean that's an incredible result right 300 pounds in 80k out brilliant um and we we run this kind of campaign maybe three or four times a year and so we've got a really good this company's been going now for about four years um and we've run it many times and it came to this point where we're like what are we doing we know our like the conversion rates surely this is a case of putting in so much money in the front end and seeing a similar kind of gain on the on the next so this time I mean it does, when you think about it it doesn't seem that much in, in comparison if you look at like the 80k we got out the first one then you know we kind of ramped it up to sort of getting 350-ish k off the back of them um, and then we pumped in 11k in the front end on, on Facebook ads for this particular one, this last one. Um, and we were just like gobsmacked. We made, I think it was in the first 48 hours, we made the same amount that we would normally make on a campaign. So we were just like, holy crap, this is working. And should the conversions rate rates be the same, we're absolutely going to smash the seven figure mark. Um, and the thing is, like a million pounds to us, it's not, it, that's, that's not, it was a surprise briefly before, you know, it, when we were going, sort of growing over the last couple of years. 
but we are a multi-million pound company anyway. The surprise on this one was getting the hitting the million pound mark within 14 days. And our last day is always the biggest. And so we'd already hit seven figures before the cart closed. And then it was just like jaw dropping, just watching that last day roll over, roll over. And we finished just shy of 1.5 million. Um, so it was just like, wow. And we literally, I think we're kind of still in that state of just like, did that really happen? Did we just generate nearly 1.5 million pounds in the space of 14 days? Um, it's just madness. And then obviously you've got the latecomers who miss who miss the, the period, but still kind of creep over on a more expensive deal once the doors are closed. So we've technically already you know, wiped out. We've hit that 1.5 million technically if we want to go over a couple of days. But yeah, it's still kind of, it's still kind of sinking in. But, you know, it didn't, it wasn't something that happened overnight. This is cal- like, it was calculated risk. And, that was, and it wasn't really a risk. We knew we were always going to make our money back. But how much we made back was the... I mean, that's like like a thousand percent ROI. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal, but it's one of those things where people could look at the numbers and go 11K in, 1.5 mil out, oh, quick win, what luck, all of those Mm. sorts of things. But actually the the clue there, which a lot of our listeners will have missed, is the fact that it's taken you four years worth of like fiddling and understanding the numbers and working out those conversion rates and refining those advertising campaigns. And then finally taking that massive risk to drop 10K on a campaign um, before you got that luck. Yeah, exactly. And this is it. And I, I know that you put out some content recently about, you know, being lucky. And I think that it's it's quite funny. I kind of I, I kind of like chuckle when I hear people say you're so lucky. And it's like you do you don't see the iceberg of what goes in underneath. Um, but you know, you you focus on the right things because also the other thing, like I, I run these um they're called elevate and evolve strategy sessions, which by the way, you guys are more than welcome to to you know contact me about and we can get you on one of them. But in there, I really lay out the process because it is not just the campaign. Like you said, it's what goes into those campaigns. It's the content that we put behind it. And it's our positioning and how we've positioned ourselves. We've niched right in. We've really looked at our ideal client. We've understood their objections. We've plowed so many hours into creating content that, you know, positions us as the expert, allays their fears, overcomes their objections and gets them to the point where they are absolutely gagging to, to, you know, to, to buy from us, which is amazing. We have people who, um, you know, go with, go with another competitor and then realize that they've made a mistake, sacrifice the deposits that they've paid with this other company and just go, we're willing to actually pay you more for your services and lose out on what we've just spent just so we can have experience what you do. And for me, it's that category of one status that everyone should be focusing on. You know, yes, the campaigns and the strategies are great, but without all of that foundation, without that hard work on, on your positioning, it's, it, won't, it, it just won't work for you. One of, one of the things that I've always been a big fan of is, is the, as a business owner, you should always become your best client. So you mm. quite often you see like business coaches who are unauthentic and they're telling people to do stuff that they're not doing for themselves and stuff like that. Whereas you've actually taken it to the, like a whole nother level here. So with your market lead, leadership expert sort of program, which you deliver, for, you know, help your clients deliver, you've actually applied the principles of that to a, a totally another business and exactly. made it work. You know, it's that whole yes. campaign driven enterprise um, and expert leadership, something which Dan Priestley talks an awful lot about, which has kind of, you know, you've built those foundations. 
A hundred percent. It's been like a little incubator for us. It's been like, you know, testing things because this is how like my Elevate program has been compiled through, you know, looking at the parts that have worked. And in each stage, we've figured out things that work, but not just for our business, because I'm really clear on that, because biz- each business is different. Um, you know, even though you, perhaps you might be in the same kind of like coaching consultancy industry, every single business is it has has its nuances. And so not everything will work for, for every business. And I'll give you a clear example here so let's take the campaign that we've just run forever track with the facebook ads and we put that out there it's run on a competition and it's very aspirational everyone wants to share it everyone wants to get it out there let's say you're a gut health specialist it's not going to work it's going to go down like a bucket of sick no one wants to share the fact that they they can't leave the house because they've got ibs you know that campaign won't work for, for another business so it's it's looking at the different campaigns and strategies and how they can work for different types of businesses. And so it's using that, you know, Evertrek as that incubator, but also looking and recognizing that there are things that work better. And I've had many businesses over, over the years and I've seen what can work and what, what doesn't. And so it's trying and testing it. And then at each stage, working out what works, going, okay, fine, I'm comfortable with that. Like you say, leading as the expert on actually through practice, teaching those bits. And now we've got to a point where we are market leading, we're staying there. It's amazing. And we're helping other people do it by compiling this kind of process we put together over the years. It's so funny because a lot of people kind of look at us as experts, like the royal us, the people who are, you know, who, who are so lucky. And you've written a book. I've written several books. And um, the amount of people who come to me and say, oh, if I write a book, am I going to be as successful as you? I was like, no, it's, it's the 150 YouTube videos, the 300 blog articles, the 250 speaking gigs, the two businesses that I've run, one of which I've sold, you know, the 600 diagnostic calls I've run over the last two years, like three years or whatever. Like it's, people don't realize that there's this whole like compounding effect in order to kind of like position yourself as an expert and like the amount of failures as well. And I'm not shy to talk about some of these things, but the challenges which come along as a business owner, you've been running businesses for sort of similar sort of length to me, I think. Um, sort of, I, I'm in, I've been in this game now for 16 plus years. I think you're not too far adrift from that. Yeah, I'm, talk- I'm, probably, I'm probably just a little bit behind you. <laughs> <laughs> but talk, talk you to up. us about like, what, what was the, how did you get into kind of um, coaching in the first place? You know, what did your business journey look like, ups and downs? before you had all of these successes? Well, the reason, this is where I sound super fluffy, like I'm a hardcore businesswoman. Like I, I, I love my strategy and all of those sorts of things. Now I'm about to reveal something that sounds super, super fluffy. So prior to being a business coach, I, I ran a couple of businesses that were super fluffy. So holistic businesses, I'm well into my aromatherapy oils and all of that sort of stuff. Absolutely love that. Um, and I sort of shifted into, um, almost like life's purpose coaching. I'm, because I'm of this hardcore businesswoman, I've always been into progressing the next best thing, both in business and career. And so this is how this kind of morphed into that kind of life's purpose guidance area. Um, and I was doing this coaching business business for a while. And I realized that actually I wasn't making any traction in it as well as all of the other businesses that I've been running, which had a certain level. I always say, like people always correct me, like Jen, it wasn't a failure. You were still making money and it was still great. And I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't the money I wanted to make. Um, so in, in essence, it wasn't doing what I wanted to do. So I moved on. But had I realized 
that actually the biggest mistake I was making at the time was that I was not niche enough. And that really tied into this whole like life's purpose, like working out the thing that really lights you up, your passion. And when you really niche in and use that passion and actually get more technical about it, which is where that's kind of that idea is developed far more strategically and far more technically now um, to really help business owners. But that's how this kind of business coaching journey began, sparked from the life's purpose, understanding that almost the cracking the code of why most businesses don't make traction is because they're not niche enough, realizing that and then helping other people find their business niche and really focusing it in and then watching them suddenly make traction and start seeing all the clients coming to them. That's that's what started the journey and then it's just gone from there really. So talk, talk to us about niching because this is something a lot of, I mean, you know, people listening to this, a lot of coaches, consultants, freelancers, they're incredibly worried about niching because they feel like they're kind of cutting out a massive chunk of the marketplace by saying, no, no, I specialize in dentists or I specialize in estate agents or, you know, which whatever their niche is, what advice would you give to somebody? I mean, there's a bigger um, there's a bigger cost associated with not niching, isn't there? Exactly. Like, what are you leaving on the table? Because if you do not niche and you speak to everybody, you speak to nobody. So you either speak to no one or you speak to someone. That's literally hard as hard and fast as you need to see it. And so that's the truth. And it's been proven time and time again. You know, if you're not making traction in business and you're not niche, that is the first thing you have to do. So it's it's really is the simple answer is, do you want to make money or not? If you want to make money, you've got to niche it in. And the reason behind that, and just to kind of kind of see kind of the history of the way business has gone, is that if you think about it, you know, back in the day before internet, you know, you would ask around for, for referrals or you would go to Joe Blogs up the road, the master generalist who covered what you needed and you would just go to them because that was your only option option. These days, people have many options. They can tap into the specialist, the best expert in the world and the thing that they need. And if they can do that, why would they choose the generalist? if they can access the specialist. It's just common sense. And so that's why that doesn't work anymore. We can't be generous. You've got to niche it down. And it also from a messaging perspective, so that people can really understand, you know, understand their problem, understand why you're the best person to help them, why you are the specialist, understanding the impact of their their issues, the urgency to work with you. To get all of that messaging, you have to really go into the granular detail. So, you know, it's not about cutting out an audience. It's actually about creating one and, and that and it's the choice between the two it was interesting because i i um was talking to when we chatted this morning you know one of the one of my biggest bugbears when you ask somebody who their target market is and they go smes well it's six yes. million businesses in the uk and only forty thousand of them it's a very ridiculously no number are actually large businesses which basically means that all the businesses in the uk are smes that's all of the businesses that is not a fucking niche that's everybody yeah and that's exactly. and, and you cannot stand up and actually be noticed and heard if you're talking about I help everybody. Um, I did a really interesting like 60 second pitch at a um, networking meeting sort of um, uh, just before Christmas last year. And everybody always starts networking meeting with, hi, my name's Robin and I run X business. So it's always about the business owner. I actually t- turned it on a 180. And the first thing I said when I stood up was, you are a coach, a consultant, or a freelancer. You're super bright. You get amazing results for your clients. You're great at what you do. But so I started telling a story and it was made all about the people I want to work with. Lo and behold, everybody kind of breaks, breaks up for the break. And I'm stood there with six people around me asking for my contact details because I've talked about who I work with. Um, 
Absolutely. And it, it's a really powerful thing. Like you talk about messaging, it's, it makes you um, known for something specific. Exactly. And people can easily share because, you know, when they say, oh, you know, why is so-and-so great? And they just go, oh, just because they just are. That doesn't give much confidence. Like people need to be able to share what you do, why they need to see you. So you need to give people something short, succinct and memorable, you know, specialists in high altitude trekking, specialists in helping people become market leaders, specialists in helping small business coaches, consultants charge more, like make it memorable, make it snappy so that people can easily talk about what you do. So is that is that the, the starting point now? We've got to kick it off with specialist in and then fill in the blanks afterwards. If we're doing a fill in the blanks thing, which I'm just, by the way, I'm, I'm dead against the whole kind of like the LinkedIn headline of I help so-and-so do so-and-so. I like to mix it up every now and then. Uh, I can bring a bit of difference because things, something that I obviously, again, that help my clients with is looking at how can you bring the uniqueness of you to the table so that you can really start to, to build the personality and the brand of your brand of your business but if you want and i think it's 100 percent necessary like you said to look at you know a great place to start is i specialize in helping for your own clarity do it like write those statements down and then look at okay how can i make this as ron seal as possible so that everyone gets what i do and another mistake that people try and do is they try and get that like one liner that linkedin headline to say everything and it's never going to happen the more you try and cram in there the harder it's going to people for to understand and remember so keep it short and sweet remember it's, it's a conversation starter it's a door opener and all of the other juicy goodness will come after that once you've got their attention they just need to know that you are specialists in helping someone exactly like them with either their problem or the outcome that they want or all three of those. So you've obviously been through this yourself through several iterations like businesses which you've you've run and your current businesses now. So that you must have some great stories about kind of clients you've helped through, you know, your expert positioning sort of program where you know, they've kind of done that generalist type thing of, you know, being too broad, not really niching, and then taking them on that journey of being able to get them to niche down, refine their offer and, and start positioning themselves as an expert. Who who would you say is kind of like your your favorite client who you, who's been through your process and what sort of results have they been able to get, you know, having been through your program? Oh gosh, there's so many to pick from, and it's like now I know who's going to be the star of the show. My goodness, because uh, you know the other thing to mention is is that just before I kind of give you some examples, and I'll try, I'll try and keep it to one. I'll try. Um, is that it doesn't matter how far that you niche down as a coach or consultant, you will always find someone doing something similar to you, always, and that's not where the uniqueness comes in. In fact, it's great. If someone else is serving the same market as you doing a similar thing and they're making a mint, brilliant, because that means that it's validated and that there's money in that market. Great stuff. So don't be trying to be like a unicorn with your niche. Just just, just make it, solidify that and, and make it, you know, get, get it to that point. But then the next thing in terms of making it unique and really seeing the traction to kind of that market leader level is finding what I call a unique magic bullet. And basically what I mean by that it's about productizing a USP. So it's either finding or more often than not creating something within your business and trademarking it, naming it, making it tangible as possible so that it becomes the thing that then positions you away from everyone else doing that similar thing. Um, and, you know, we've had some in- incredible people do that. So, for instance, you've got, let's just use the example for the sake of the UMB for the moment. So. Um, 
I don't really have heard of the name Sally Kehoe. A name rings a bell. Yep. She's, she's lovely. Um, she is a mortgage specialist. Now, when she first started out, and I just want to be very clear, she didn't come to me for her niching, but this is just her journey. She came to me for the UMB stuff, the unique magic bullet. But she started out as a, as a, a mortgage advisor in general. Then she realized that the niching thing had already happened. She was like, right, you didn't really uh, file it down. And she specialized in helping self-employed business owners to do it. Because that's the thing is that, you know, she was an apple for an apple. But even then, even once she'd really niched it down to, to specializing in the self-employed who need her help, because that's the other thing is you've got to look at the urgency. So by taking that one step to niche it, you're creating urgency because people who are self-employed, unless you're a mortgage advisor, advisor yourself, you're never going to understand that and get the best deal and all those sorts of things. So she did the, she did the step one to the niche, but then she's still an apple. Like, yes, her services are in demand, but what stops somebody just going to anybody who special because there is actually loads of people out there who specialize in self-employed like that's just the way it goes so what we looked at was you know what makes you special you know about around everyone else and it wasn't like she was struggling for customs she was getting people through but how are you going to dominate the market so we looked at the the offering that she's already doing and in this case this this was lucky and i want to use the word lucky in a way because (laughs) A lot of the time, we have to engineer a USP. We have to engineer that, that, that standout piece. In her case, she was actually already doing it. She was already um, offering something that was different to everything else out there, but she just wasn't recognizing it. She didn't see it. She was an, We find this a lot, especially, I'm sorry to say, in female business owners, overgiving all of the time. So we came in and, and she was like, she chased everything for us. She chased the estate agents. She'd chase... Um, our accountants, our solicitors, she'd liaise with the accountants. So we didn't have to worry about figures. We just like make them look good. You spend all these years making it look good for the tax man. Now can you make it look better and make it look good <laughs> for, the, for the mortgage people, please? And um, she did all of that. So you wake up one day with the mortgage, which is where most of the market gets you to. But she does the rest of it. You wake up the next day with a house without any of the hassle, any of the stress. As a business owner, that was huge because you've got so many thing, thing else, you know, other things to focus on. Yeah. Um, and so we productize that part of it. We called it the trusted chasing and liaising service. Not necessarily snappy, but it does what it says in the tin. Pull to the forefront. Who are you going to pick? The one that just gets you the mortgage or the one that does the whole shebang, gets you, know, gets you through the door, liaises with all the complicated parts that boggle my brain. Like, yes, I'm a businesswoman, but the, the accountancy side of it, please just like you know put a drill through my head so she dealt with all of that and, and she can she productized that usp and so by taking that one step to niche help to get more clients um consistent conversions as well and then the next step of really productizing that usp has now taken her to a point where she's number one amazing and it's it sounds um like a lot of people kind of um skip through the steps but i also um, you know, when they're setting up businesses, they kind of want to fast track things. So they can just make the money and actually end up just kind of sabotaging their business in the process by trying to fast track it. Whereas actually, if you kind of slow things down a little bit and you start to kind of measure each one of those steps along the way, like you did with, um, with her and her process, you can actually then start to unpick it, refine each step, make it better, give it a fancy name. And, and lo and behold, actually, it starts to create a nice, systemized, repeatable process. And the yes. thing like mortgages, there are thousands of mortgage products. Actually, if you're a specialist in um, mortgages for self-employed, you probably have narrowed it down to about 10 or 20 products. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it's, it's fast-track the process. So somebody, right, I'll just go straight to her. Uh, 
she's got access to the 10 or 20 best products for me uh, and she's got the process to deliver it and it's it's nice and easy and people pay a premium when it's easy yeah uh, yeah exactly and that's and that's why they were willing to pay more and to be with her over everyone else because people want easy people want simple they want the specialist just 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 do it like i've got no one's got an interest in learning on how to get a mortgage they just want someone to do it for them and she does it brilliantly i hate mortgages i'm never gonna have to, i'm never gonna move again I, I hate the whole kind of like house moving mortgage like shambles thankfully my kids are settled in school and they're not bloody going anywhere for years so we, we, we have to go through that painful process but again there's a lot of um you know people who are probably listening to this who um probably don't have any systems or processes in place and then they're still wondering why their business isn't working so again as part of that i think you would you say it's better to kind of fix that part of the systems and processes first before you start positioning yourself as an expert or do you go 100 percent. i think i think in terms of systems it's about systemizing your process so first off you've got a niche because you've got to work out what is the, the the transformation that you are bringing and you know because there are so many coaches and consultants out there who are just kind of like well i help my clients with so many different things because of course you can't systemize it because there's nothing's predictable it's all over the place and there are so many different routes to go so the first stage is let's look at actually where's a to b what does that look like or a to z however you want to whatever you want to call it and then go okay how how does my process get systemized how do I take someone from where they are now to where they need to be Pull out, pulling out that systemization of their process to, to productize it which is I know you do so well as well Robin so getting it to that stage and then you know the, the UMB is the thing the unique magic bullet is the thing that's within that process that makes it work so well so yes, that's how you do it, but but why does it work beyond anything else that's out there? Um, and, and that's where the, the kind of the gold is. But I absolutely believe you need to systemize it, particularly we were talking earlier, weren't we, around the, the doer versus the actual business owner. And this is and this is exactly it. Like stop being a doer, put your business hat on, niche it down, systemize it. Because if you continue to work with, with the whole business revolving around what you bring to the table each and every time that's bespoke and what a boutique or whatever you want to call it, which is total crap, by the way, it that doesn't that isn't a USP. Boutique and bespoke are not USPs. You know, any anyone who hasn't niched uses that, wheels that old like cracker out. Well, I'm just you know, bespoke. I'm do anything for you wheeler dealer doesn't work like that no because it, so, it destroys capacity like you get oh. you know you get some dickhead pain in the ass client who comes and wants the moon on a fucking stick and then exactly. you spend years trying to bloody deliver it and they're still not happy it, ru- yes. it bespoke ruins business like my attitude towards it is that if you can't create three to five core products that satisfy 80 to 90 percent of the market needs and i can guarantee like guarantee those 10 to 20 percent of people who need customer bespoke are going to be a massive pain in the ass so yeah. you've got to, you hone the products down that's going to satisfy most people and get rid of the ones who are going to just suck up all your time. A hundred percent. I think that needs to go on a t-shirt, like bespoke, bespoke, you said bespoke ruins businesses, but I, I think it's true. And I think that you need to, you need to systemize it not just for your own peace of mind, not so just so you can make your marketing better because you can actually say, I specialize in helping these people and this is my roadmap. This is what, how I do it. And then the next layer is the UMB. 
but also so that you can extract the system from you and, you know, either give it to someone else to support the, the, the teaching of that or the coaching or the facilitation of it, putting it into a digital product is the only way you're going to be able to scale your coaching and consultancy business is by realizing you've got to systemize. You've got to systemize it if you want to, if you, if you want to take more capacity. It's really interesting because I, um, I I do my group coaching calls on a Wednesday. So I've done it just before this, um, before our, our recording now. And um, I actually happened to just, I can't remember how it came about. Somebody asked a question about scaling a coaching program. It's very apt. And I said, um, I, 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 this is something I haven't actually shared with it, but with people really that much before, certainly not my, my group and the, and the clients I shared it with mentors and things like that. But long term, I'm looking at ways that I can make myself redundant from those coaching yes. calls. And my clients, bless them, they were brilliant. They turned around and said, well, we can't believe we get so much access to you anyway. And I was like, I do it because I love it. I enjoy it. I'm probably that I'll still drop in and do sessions and things like that anyway. But there will become a point when this thing scales enough that I'm going to have to step away and focus on the, the leadership stuff, the expert stuff, going out and doing the speaking engagements that brings clients into the business and you know, leave my baby to a team of coaches, other experts who are trained up in the fearless coaching methodologies that understand the three core principles that we try, we coach on you know, around product pricing lead flow, that understand our, our mission, vision, values. Um, and so it becomes like teachable, learnable, repeatable. I, I want to be redundant. I don't want to be fucking working in my business for like however many years to come. Because Absolutely. there are people 100%. out there who are better than me, Jen. I want them to be coaching my clients. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing. It's that trust, isn't it? Trusting. And I think that's a really bold statement you just made that there are people out there, you know, better. And that's the thing. They, everyone, every coach brings something unique to the table, which adds value. And it might not be the same unique thing that you bring to the table, but it will still add value to your clients. And if you can't systemize that, then really you know, how does it, how does it work? To me, it's all like smoke and mirrors. People need to know that there's a roadmap, that there's a way of doing it. And if you can't teach someone else to be able to teach someone else, then how are you, how are you doing that? So that yeah. there's got to be a you know, bridge in the gap. It's funny. I see, I see so many coaches who are just kind of busy fools rushing around. Hey, look at me. I'm full up. I've got 20 clients and they wear yeah. it like a badge of honor inside. You know that they're fucking hurting, that they're like yeah. really struggling to you and I've both been there. We've been there yeah. running busy coaching practices. We both know what it's like. The experts and gurus tell coaches to, to do three for free, then get 20 clients and fill up your one-to-one -one clients. That's how you cut your cloth. And we've all been there, but it's actually a really painful process, especially when you're on the precipice of turning away your 21st client or what tends to happen is clients are like buses and not only do they all come along at once they also leave at once so all of a sudden you yes. have like 10 exactly. clients leave a one-to-one -one coaching practice and you want to bloody shoot yourself because it's it's soul destroying so again like how can them there's got to be a nice middle ground somewhere in amongst that so um does your process like help people to kind of, to, you know, the, can we tell people what some of those warning signs are, how to avoid those common sort of pitfalls that coaches and consultants tend to walk themselves into? Yeah. And I think it's, it's about also what you want for your business. It depends who we're talking to here, because if you're looking for, um, are you looking for a lifestyle 
kind of business or are you looking for an empire are you looking for something where you can scale to like seven figures and things like that in which case your business model will have to evolve and you know and, and change and your starting point will be different to where you actually end up so your starting point will be probably and I always advise this is is high-end one-to-one because you get big cash injections into your business that you're able to reinvest High end always means high transformation. People have more commitment to what they're, you know, they're paying for, and all of those sorts of things. So you know that you're going to get. You, it's just all good, all good in the beginning. High end, high touch, high transformation. All the good case studies and testimonials. All the money to then reinvest back into the business. But then, if you're looking to scale, then you have to think about something's going to have to shift somewhere along the line. And that is, it's, it's not about necessarily getting it right from the from the from day one because it never is like I'm actually involved in um I'm co-running a, a, another startup company and it's mad like going back to the beginning of the journey again and actually going you cannot run before you can walk you've got to you've got to do the things that have to be done before you can get to where you want to be if you're looking to have this giant membership that yes will give you the freedom that you want and will allow you to scale but actually you've got no audience right now then it's a stupid move. Like I, I that, that's just my opinion. I think that you should start high end until you grow an audience. Once you've grown an audience to a certain size, then you can start putting it in. I've seen so many people start memberships from the word go and then close them down within the first six months, even sooner, first three months. Cause they're just like, these people want my soul, my blood, sweat and tears. And there's like three of them in there and they're paying 20 pounds a month. And like, I can't do this anymore. So yeah, there, there is definitely steps to getting there but if you do want to scale it's about just evolving and changing and in terms of like looking at that vacuum as well like that feast and famine it's finding strategies and campaigns and thinking ahead strategically like you said a lot of um, coaches kind of go yay I'm fully booked and then oh I haven't got anyone well you weren't really thinking ahead like when was that coaching ending and what could you have done before that happened to make sure that you do another push for the next thing so it's about looking ahead looking at your sales strategy on and, and, and where you're planning to do it and having something that's proven like I, like I said with this 1.4 million pound launch we had you know looking at that and going oh, we know that that's proven we know that we get money off the back of that if you've got a strategy that's kind of really hit and miss or you're just relying on referrals or you know that hope marketing that someone might come along that's not a strategy you need to come up with something much better in order to start bringing those people in consistently when you want them you don't have to be like in in my coaching business the way I like to sell in my coaching business isn't all of the time. Like I don't want it. I, I've got other businesses to focus on as well. Um, so I will bring out my, my strategies when it's the right time, when I want more clients and I know that it's proven to work. And yes, there's always a caveat that markets change, things change. You have to evolve with that. And sometimes things do stop working. Hey, that's business, but you've got to have some sort of a, of a process. Otherwise it's, you're just kind of leaving everything to the wind. Well, I think planning's kind of like the key thing. It's really fascinating that when coaches are super or consultancies are super busy and um, kind of deliver, you know, cash is flowing into their business. Like I always say that no business ever has a cash flow problem because the money flows in, it flows straight back out again. And I think a lot of people running small businesses, I read a stat recently that 60% of small business owners are earning less than national average wage in the UK, yeah. which is sad. Um, and, and really it's because all they've done is train themselves to live so hand to mouth. And they don't, you know, it's like, um, I remember doing my first 10K month like, as a coach and um, I wanted to, and I also at the time was renovating a 
uh, 250-odd cottage. It took me four years. And the two, two things happened to Clyde at the same time, finished the house, did my first 10K month. I went and bought a watch. Now, if I'd gone and bought a Rolex, I'd have blown the whole bloody lot of my 10K month in one go. Yes. I was like, no, I'll buy a tag. I like tags anyway, but it's a tenth of the price. And it means that I can stick eight grand in the savings pot because next month I'm expecting it to be quiet. So yes. I still want to pay myself. Um, and it was nice having, when I learned that, and especially as you start to show people to be more brave around things like pricing as well, which obviously, as you know, is that's kind of like my my superpower when it comes to pricing. 100%. And you can get people to a point whereby they can have half the clients make double the income. And if they want to take July and August off, because they're generally quiet months anyway for business owners. So exactly. potentially not in every market. Mine seems to be super busy. I can't batting them away at the moment with sticks, Jen. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> that's my, that's my humble, non-humble brag for <laughs> this podcast episode, just batting people away with sticks. That's, you know, cause I'm so popular. <laughs> I love it. Can you imagine? But I, I think as well, like, um, you know, people are afraid of hearing the word, no, they hate like rejection. And you see this, it's rife. It's not just in the sales process, but they're, they're worried about putting themselves out there as an expert in things like yeah, a Facebook post. So an educational Facebook post that's maybe slightly controversial, they hate it. They take it personally when there's a negative comment out mm, there. Yeah. It's okay, isn't it, to have like polarizing opinion, surely? Oh, 100%. And I think, and it's, it's, it's quite funny actually, because um, there's polarizing for the sake of it and there's polarizing with strategy. And I think that's the key here. So there's been a few instances where people have tried to make brave moves and it's massively backfired. I'm not going to come, you know, sort of like retreat to come forward. I'm just going to be blatant about it. So like Ant Middleton, bless his heart, massive apology like if you find yourself apologizing for what you're saying then maybe you should have thought a bit about what you were saying like you know we're all pansies and flowers stop being stupid just get out there the pandemic's fine Uh, look what's just happened grant cardone thought it would be hilarious to pretend to be bankrupt but then actually we're not really it's all just a bit fun massively lost the trust in it you know he's old 10,000 x cardone yeah love the guy yeah exactly i love him and he's a big he's 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 a big guy he he can handle it he's a big brand and i'm sure he will recover and you know he probably already is by now um but you know it probably sounded like a great idea over a glass of wine and then when i actually came to it it was like oops maybe you shouldn't have done that but i think we will have those moments in businesses to be fair (laughs) (laughs) but um i think the the key is for me is actually embrace the trolls imagine the trolls like you know we, we talked to us about this earlier like check out your competition don't be afraid to actually go and see what they're doing like oh god I'm just too scared of comparisonitis they mustn't do it like no just do it because within that you will find the gold like that's where we can you know like prize out you know the, the productized usps all those sorts of things by looking at what everyone else is doing finding that gap and the same thing with with like polarizing get out there get in amongst it um, and, and look at what other people are saying. Imagine the trolls coming back to you and then imagine what you'd say back because then if you're like, well, yeah, you've got a point, but also I still believe this. It's great that you think that, but I'm still standing in my corner on my side of the fence because that's what I truly believe. That's how you want to feel. You want to feel to the point where I'm happy to defend it because I truly believe it. So I, I do agree. You've got to stick polarizing things out there. Otherwise, no one no one has anything to stick to. There's no glue. People need to know why they're following you. So you've got to be brave. But at the same time, be smart. 
think about you know both sides of the coin and make sure you're happy with what you're saying and you're happy to defend it so when a troll does come you're kind of more prepared you're like yeah I knew someone was going to come and say that I knew someone was going to pull out the woodwork um and this is what I have to say gracefully and with love Let's <laughs> <laughs> lovely a polite fuck off yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say as well like um, um uh, he's he's a um a really inspiring guy. I've been listening to Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter by Curtis Jackson, Jackson, AKA 50 Cent. And it's a brilliant book where obviously through the title, he's talking about, you've got to work hard, but you've also got to work hard, smart. And I think a lot of people kind of forget that sometimes as well. You need both of them. You can't just be out there bashing down, like fucking stuff out. The, the shit content on Facebook, the amount which, well, I call it, I call it marketing shit. A lot of people just go out like, you know, doing buy my shit offers, spraying marketing shit all over their prospective clients and wondering why nobody's buying. That's not smart marketing. You might be working really hard to do loads of marketing, but it's certainly not smart. So I think there's a lot people could learn from what you just said there. So much. And just to bring another example of like another client that I'm working with at the moment, um, Lucy Orton, she's just amazing. Um, and, you know, she, she was she she started off with um, actually, interestingly, enough, I think it was fearless. No, dare, dare, something like daring, like her brand was all about daring women and things like that. Here's an example of how you've kind of gone from a concept of what you want people, you want women to feel empowered, you want them to like live their life daringly. She, we shifted her into actually helping um, women who are in corporate, who have a side hustle, who want to make that their, their main thing. They want to quit their job, fire their boss, and actually move into it. So living more daringly it, with context. And that's what's missing with a lot of you know, businesses, particularly, I'm sorry to say it, female coaches. This is where it sits. It sits in this kind of like empowering women. And it's so fluffy. There's no context to it. So adding some context and situational fluency to it to go, okay, this is what's happening to them. This is the trigger point. This is why they need to, to have you because now we can see that there's a consequence. Like before, what's the consequence of not living daringly while sitting on the sofa and watching the TV? Oh, well, big deal. Right now, if you if you continue to, to keep your business as a side hustle, there's the urgency there. Like they need to start um, doing something. Otherwise, they will always regret it. They will end up getting old with the side hustle. They never did anything. And it will just be another thing that was proven by everyone out there who said they, they couldn't do it. And then they've just proved it to themselves. They didn't do it, couldn't do it, couldn't be bothered, too scared, you know, not, not bold enough. So that's how we, we, we kind of put the context to it. And now we're adding that other layer now. So we're onto the unique magic bullet, the, the productized USP, which leads me on with the reason why I'm telling you about this. It's because you were talking about focusing on the right thing. Now, her unique magic bullet is very much around moving away from the growth mindset and moving to something that she calls the progressive mindset. So this is something we've labeled, something she's getting trademarked. Guys, please don't be mean. Um, <laughs> she's taking this progressive mindset concept. Um, but one of the things that make up a progressive mindset is something that she calls, if I'm going to get this correctly, is hyper-specific productivity. And so the growth mindset kind of hints at the exact same thing, like working hard, doing the things, knowing that you can change, moving forward, all of those things. Progressive mindset is about being smart, about focusing on those specific things that you know are going to matter a year from now. 
So instead of like busying yourself with like tinkering with your website and doing all the things that aren't actually going to really make a difference, hand that off to a web designer. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. Here you go. Have that. Now I'm going to focus on what I'm actually good at and what I'm here to do in my zone of genius and really focusing on those strengths. Now, that's what makes a, what she calls a progressive mindset, which I absolutely love. Great concepts. And that's what's going to stand her apart from everyone else sort of teaching similar things. You know, she's the first to come up with it, first to move with this. Um, and you know, then that, and that's the other thing, just very quickly, I know I've like talked in a massive round here. Be the first and don't sit on your ideas. So many people that I've both worked with and just observed come up with fantastic ideas and then sit on their hands and then watch their competitors come up with them themselves and run with it. And by that point, it's too late. You'll always be sloppy seconds. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to be sloppy seconds. No one wants to be sloppy oh, seconds. Oh goodness, you brought back some happy memories there. Um, <laughs> I I always say as well, like you need the, the future version of you needs you to take action now. Like otherwise, yes. you just you know that you don't want the future version of you looking back in twelve months, like slapping around the face and going, why the fuck didn't you do something? It's like you don't want those kind of regrets hanging around. You you touched upon something that was um, uh, that I want to kind of speak to you about because I want to get to know the real Jen as well, um, and not that you're not being unreal. <laughs> But you know this what I mean? Jen, becomes a real one. Jen, Jen without the business kind of, um, you know, yeah. you're, you're so high energy, you're so driven, you're so uh, inspirational and motivational, especially like in the business um, world. You have a daughter, you've got a family, you've grown three great businesses as well, like with all of that going on, like through the crisis. How do you cope with all of that? Um, it's an interesting one. We just kind of did. It was, it, it, and I said to you just before this, like, I'm going to be real and uh, be re- like really real about this. And I don't have all my shit together when it comes to this whole life thing and, and juggling everything. What's massively helped is that Andy, my, my, my partner, my, fi- my fiance and business partner, we run all three of our companies together along with, um, some other people as well. Um, we make a great team. We're referred to as kind of like the power couple. And you know what? I and, and I hate, I hate, I sniggered at the term lucky before. And this is where I do feel like you couldn't have engineered this. He came, um, we helped each other grow. I like I was running my coaching business before Evertrek, but you know, it's literally been almost, I would say, a 50-50 of really building those up together um, and, you know, becoming a success together. And with my daughter, I mean, with this pandemic and, and the homeschooling and stuff, she's just been such an angel. Um, there's been way too much screen time, like way too much. Like people say, you know, you talk about the 27 minutes earlier, here's the real gem. Like it's, we're talking hours and it really has been. And, and it's really hitting that guilt of, a, that's not great for her. It's not great for her mental health. Um, and also I'm missing out on time. So it has been difficult because business has just like kind of gone boom, which again has been something I didn't touch upon actually is that, you know, the, the biggest industries that have been hit by this pandemic has been hospitality and travel. We run a travel company and yes, it's been impacted, but we've also grown you know, in sales. Yes, we've had to, you know, we've had to cancel a season um, of people who were due to go out to Nepal, rescheduling all of their theirs, you know, dealing with trying to keep retention of those people so they reschedule, you know, and, you know, please, you know, don't cancel it because you can still go. 
you know, messaging around that to try and keep the business in the business and help these people still reach their achievements. So we've had that and we may potentially have to cross that bridge again for the autumn season as well. So there's been impacts all over. So, you know, it's when you get to the stage of these kind of like, you know, becoming a seven figure business, there's more people to manage. There are, there are other issues that come into play. You know, we've been dealing with like force majeure laws and all kinds of stuff. HR, our team's growing. So it's been difficult um, to, to manage that. And, you know, the, the positive side of it is, is that we have the money to invest in a great support team. So not only are we supported to each other as a couple, and when this first happened, we're very equal in our relationship. So literally how it would be, tag team. In, in, in the morning, it would be me with Ellie, homeschooling, spending a bit of time together. And in the afternoon, he would run with her in the afternoon and we'd do a, we'd do a switch. And something interesting actually is that we've really realized that we work way too many hours prior to, prior to this pandemic than we needed to. We do so much more, make so much more money in a shorter space of time. And I knew this concept before, right? I knew it, but I've never really truly kind of witnessed that happen, that, that we've grown so much in such a sh- literally, a literally short space of time and not having a, you know as much time as we used to have. So that's been a revelation. And I think for me, the biggest lesson out of this is making time for your loved ones making time to spend together because there will always be work to do so unless you force that time in then it's it's going to be difficult but yeah the support team we have got like a a nanny childminder that comes in three days a week now to kind of help out with the childcare situation so she's not left on a phone she's actually got human interaction bless her so she's you know working with her on like craft projects and other bits and pieces having fun and then me crafting actually you know crafting out time to actually spend with her as a parent as well but you know it's not it's it's difficult people like to be like you know it's you can manage it all and you can be a mum and you can be a business you can but you you have to redefine what that looks like and what success looks like um, and in the modern yeah in the modern world I just think that you know women have this really weird view about you know what that means and they feel guilty about not being there constantly but who are you showing up as to your daughter you want to make sure that you craft out that time so you do have that time with them but you also need to recognize that your business needs to be want your business to be successful and it's what you want out of life if you if you want to spend more time with your kids fine but recognize that there's, there's only 24 hours in a day. You've got to choose where you spend them. Um, so you've got you've got to manage that. And there, there, there's got to be give and take in, in each area. And I don't have it all together. And I don't get it right all of the time. Um, but it's, it's, it's a learning curve. And just making sure that, you know, I'm there as much as I can be for my daughter. Yeah. And I, I'm sure that as well, like she's incredibly inspired by seeing the success, which her parents are kind of making, you know, and she, she will understand or does understand like the sacrifices that you're making in order to kind of achieve that. And, you know, one of the things which I always say is if I can leave us a legacy and I don't, I'm not talking about books and stuff like that here. The one thing I want is my girls to look at and see that, see why I do what I do when, when I have clients who as a result of me working with them can get married and save up for a deposit on a house and go and get their first office and they make their first 100k and start to have all of those great things happening it's there's a legacy there which is greater than 
you know you know you know where I'm going with this oh 100% and you know bless her heart like she, you can see already like what she's learning through the experience that she's seeing and she's even teaching us a few things the other day she, we booked a holiday to Greece fingers crossed that goes ahead booked a holiday to Greece and she was like how much was that and I was like you know about about three grand and she was like okay well as long as we've still got the million and like she She's our like our mini. Imagine that blowing one one and a half million on a holiday to Greece. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, what a holiday! But she was like, no, we need to just save that because then we're going to get to a billion. And I was like, okay, like, and she's just like, what great just, insight! I know. I was like, you're not. I, I, don't tell you what we are spenders, so I cannot take any credit for her insight. She's literally all of her own. She's like, no, hang on a minute, we need to hold on to this. But bless her. But she's, um, you know, she's learning throughout this process, and she 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 comes in with these amazing ideas and like insights and things, you know, about business. You can just see her soaking up and really seeing what's possible, and and that means so much to me because when I was growing up, I was really in a box of this is your potential. It's almost like this given line of potential. This is what you're going to reach. This is, you're going to go into the norm, the same societal standards as everyone else. You're going to get a job and this job gives you about this much money. So this is what you're going to have to play with unless you go to university and then maybe you could become a doctor and get a little bit more. And it was these societal standards that were kind of delivered to me. What I'm so proud of is that she's seeing the power of creating something from nothing, like thin air, this is what you can create using the power of your mind, using your passions, using learned skills. And you can create this, you know, from the bottom up. And so I'm really pleased that she can see that happening. So she can see that there's, there's, there's the, the life is full of options and you can create the life that, that you want. And that's something I'm, I am super proud of. I might not be proud of sometimes of, you know, sacrificing the time that I might have had with her for something else, but that's something I am proud of. I really am proud of who she's becoming because of that environment. Amazing. And um, I, I got one final question and we're going to sort of look to wrap up, but um, I, I hear so often, right, you don't hear men going around like business is hard for men, but you hear a lot of women going around saying that business is hard for women. And okay. you're the only person who I feel brave enough that I can ask this question and actually get a well-articulated answer rather than the punch in the face. But why do women feel that they need to behave differently in business to men? I think I think there's a few reasons. I do think it's a kid thing. I think, they again, they feel like this responsibility. And like I said, I feel so privileged to be with Andy, who understands that, you know, and like, I just want to be clear here as well. Like, Ellie's his stepdaughter. I'm not even legally now. Like, we're not even married yet. We're due to get married next year. Um, but he takes that responsibility seriously. And I think it can be hard in some relationships where that isn't understood and it's like it's a given that your default I call it a default parent like you're always default to the primary parent like if I need to go out you'll just have them and it's like oh, hold on a second there's a partnership here and your children as well like he doesn't need to do that and he does and I'm so grateful the fact that he, he comes on that level and he, and he has that uh, way of being so I think that plays a part in it because women don't feel always feel supported by the people that surround them. Okay. I think also that women sometimes feel that um, they're not taken seriously. And on that note, that's all here. And I used to be that person who felt not taken seriously, who felt like, oh, like, well, if 
I don't know, I bet you if Andy or if, or if Robin like talked about what I said and said what I said, that people take it far more seriously and take it on board. Load of bullshit. That's all up in your own head. It's yourself holding you back. Um, and yes, it comes from society and the way history has gone and women not being taken to history. Yes, that there's there's an element of that, but we can either hold, hang on to it or just get rid of it. Like, what do you want to do? Um, and in terms of like finding it hard, in terms of like running a business and managing a family and things like that, again, it's just redefining what 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 like your success looks like, you know, and I'm trying hard not to to bash myself about the time that I choose to spend on certain areas of my life. But that's my choice. That's what I choose to do. I'm happy with that and sod everyone else. That's how I want to run my life and stop living under people's judgments. And I think that's why I I personally think that's possibly why women find it hard. I don't know like if there is, if there's a specific angle, but those probably two main ones, I think. I think you've kind of unlocked the key to success because I know we, we share a lot of things in terms like, um, you know, our, of our family values, for example, you know, I have a young family too, in terms of growing the business and my, I, I mean, I, I would say I'm probably addicted to the process when it comes to business so much, but I would say that things only got easier for me when I recognized that actually I can either choose to keep on fighting that addiction mm. or just accept that actually I do really enjoy the process. And if I choose to go and spend time doing the business and it takes me away from the kids, it's actually okay. It's yeah, actually it's okay. okay. It's your choice. That's what you've made, you know, to yeah. do. And as long as you craft out time to spend with them another time, cool. And if I'm worried about what everybody else thinks, then I, I would never do that. And I never would have got to where I've got to, you know, again, that's, that's a little bit of a, sac- a sacrifice, which you have to make, which is a choice at the end of the day. Yeah. Some people yeah. just aren't feeling and I'm, I'm to sacrifice to that much. redefine that word sacrifice. Cause I, I find myself using it a lot. Like I've made that sacrifice. And I think, you know, this is a lesson, it's kind of like a lesson I'm learning as I'm talking literally as we speak, that actually we need to redefine the word sacrifice to it's our choice. Like exactly as you said, it's your choice to do it. It's not a sacrifice. I have actively chosen to do this and it sits well with me. If it doesn't sit well with other people, then cool. Like that's up to you. But this sits well with me and how I want to run my life and how I want to bring up my children and what I choose to do with it. And you hope for the same for your kids, right? Yep. 100%. You know, and I hope, I hope, like I said, I hope it inspires them. It doesn't, it's not going to hinder them. So I've got a couple of quick questions. So obviously um, your, your podcast, so give a quick sort of um, 30 seconds about your podcast and how people can find it. Yes. So Expert Unrivaled is the podcast name. You can, there's a link I think you're going to put in the show notes, but you can just literally just search it on any of your podcast apps, go on there, listen. It really is sharing all of the different kinds of insights. And we've got the amazing Robin, who's hopefully going to be appearing on the next episode as well. Um, And, you know, we talk all around market leadership, the steps from getting to where you need to go, charging higher prices, looking at productization, looking at USPs, all of that juicy goodness. Um, And yeah, like I said, Apple iTunes on all on most podcasts for that cool. one. We'll, we'll, we'll share a link to that. And obviously the book's available on Amazon as well, also under the same title, Expert and Rival. And we'll make sure we share all of your social media links into there as well. Um, if you did want to check out Jen's website, uh, it's marketleaderleague.com. I believe, um, which we've also included in the show notes as well. So, um, right, Jen, I always finish with one specific question, which hopefully you found in the, um, in the, in, in the notes when you were applying for this. So hopefully yes. it won't be a curveball. So we are going to hop into the fearless business time machine and we're going to go back to, you get to choose the date, which we're going to punch into the, the dashboard and go back to that particular date. And you're going to have a word with Jen. So, um, when is it, what date is it? How many years ago? And, uh, what are you going to say to yourself? can't remember the exact date but let's just literally call it 16 years whoop it's 
straight back and it really pedals right back around to niche, 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 stop generalizing, stop trying to get everybody in and start getting somebody through the doors. That's literally the thing because it really was the key to unlocking everything else that happened. There we go. Great tip. So specificity. Listen, Jen, thanks so much for your honesty today, um, for sharing, um, uh, telling us about your kind of launch, about um, the impact that your family's also had in terms of supporting those businesses and making it move forward and what's inspired you. So really, really grateful. Thank you ever so much. No, thank you for having me. It's been great. And thank you for hearing my rants. I tell you what we should do, Jen, actually, we should, we should, there should be a bit like, we should have an arrangement now, which is a bit like, you know, when you had a friend when you were a teenager, you said like, if we haven't got married by the time we're 13, 30, we should like hook up. Yeah. We should like, we should be each other's hundredth episode. How, how about that? I would love that. I would love to come back for the hundredth episode. I'm just going to hog it. People are going to be mad though. You know that, right? They're just going to be like, damn it. <laughs> like, but if you're going to be my hundredth, I've got to be your hundredth too. You okay, know, cool. Better. We're in. We're, it's a deal. It's a deal. <laughs> Cool. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much.